one of God's glories is that he is a kind God. Kindness. Paul writes about that as he recalls his own conversion. Listen to how he puts that. For we ourselves once were living like fools. We were living as disobedient, rebellious. We were deceived, thinking we knew everything, but we were deceived. We were serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice, anger, envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. When you meet people like that, when you meet people like that, what what do you do? To be honest, you walk around them, right? I don't want to have these as my friends. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his kindness, he saved us. Mercy is the word there. That's the word kindness. God kindly approached Paul and all the others. While we lived as unkind people, he didn't treat us with hatred, but he treated us with kindness and he showered his mercies upon us. Children of God, if you're one like Paul, that's what he did to you too. Before God regenerated you, we were all dead in trespasses and sins, weren't we? We all lived according to the course of the world, even though we clothed ourselves in in, in uh, you know, beautiful life. As Paul did too, outwardly, he wasn't in the bars. He didn't hang up in the nightclubs. He didn't uh, visit bad places. He lived like that. But inside of it, not a shred different than the Christians were, where Titus is working. You know that, don't you? If you think back, and please do think back, at those days before God converted you, saved you. And you may not know that because God may have saved you since you were young. Well, blessed are you if you are. I feel extremely jealous of those who've learned to love the Lord from their youth and have been kept from the ways that some of us have lived. But the point is it's kindness. In congregation tonight, the Eighth Commandment is about kindness. As I pray tonight, we may see the Eighth Commandment is a reflection of the character of God. No, God is no thief, obviously. He doesn't need a commandment, thou shalt not steal. But the other side of the commandment, what does that mean? Thou shalt not steal. Let's reverse that. What do I have to do then? That's God. Thou shalt give. That's God. The Eighth Commandment, we are to be generous givers. We are to be kind givers. Merciful people. 
looking out on the objects we can find to show kindness to. And then let's thank God for our model. He showed kindness to people who were foolish and rebellious and living in pleasure and all the other bad things he did. So let's take a look this evening at the Eighth Commandment, particularly the reverse side. But let's go and listen to the explanation of the Catechism. If you have your Psalters out there, page 79, Lord say 42. And I'm going to spend very little time on the 110th answer and question and answer. But we're going to focus more on 111. But let's read very slowly together. The 110th question and answer, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. God forbids not only those thefts and robberies, which are punishable by the magistrate, the government. That's obvious. He doesn't want us to steal my neighbor's car. He doesn't want me to steal my neighbor's money. But, he goes a little deeper now, he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to make our own appropriate the goods which belong to our neighbor. God is not against trading, but fair trade. Honest trading. No wicked tricks and devices. And we do that by either force or under the appearance of right. Sell your car knowing that there's quite a leak in your transmission oil. But you're not telling. That's his problem. Now God says, you are stealing when you sell a car like that. Without telling him, you tell him. Oh, I might lose a deal. Well, big deal. What's better, lose a deal or steal? That's what God is saying. No, no wicked trade, no wicked devices. Honesty. Whenever you sell or buy, no unjust weights, else measures, fraudulent merchandise. That's the car I was talking about. False coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden of God. But he goes a little deeper yet. All covetousness. That's stealing. Covetousness. Really? That's stealing? All abuse and want and waste of his gifts. At least that's one thing that stood out tonight in the reading of the uh, third servant with his one talent. You know what he said, right? He still recognized. It was not his talent. He says, I kept thy talent. He did wrong. At least he had that right. He didn't forget. That talent wasn't his. When I forget and I become owner and I begin to think of ownership, I'm already transgressing the eighth commandment in the spirit. Right? If this catechism is a correct interpretation of the scripture and 
is for you to prove they're not. And how many of us are convicted tonight as thieves already? Be honest. And we need to be honest. God wants us to be honest. Now, what does God require in the Eighth Commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may. And deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. With God's help, I would like to expound that from the Bible, particularly in question 111. So last week I introduced you to the eight with God's will about honor me with your stewardship of my resources. I tweaked it a little bit as I was working through it this week. I thought this is clear. Honor me with your stewardship of my resources. Last week we spent uh, establishing the truth about our resources. They are not ours. They're his. None of us are possessors. We're all stewards of what Christ owns. And as we just read tonight, the steward has one task. He has only one task. What is the one task? Is to use what God gives him to use for the master's good, for the master's benefit, and for the master, and according to the master's direction. That is your and my task as stewards of the little slices of the earth that God gives us a little time to manage. We don't own it. We, this is not your land, my land, our land. This is God's land. And, 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 and we are stewards to do with the land or other talents, of course. It doesn't have to be land only. All kinds of talents we may have. Creativity, is that talent? Engineering skill, is that talent? Mathematical, analytical thinker, is that talent? Writing, talent? Hammering, construction, talent? Oh, whatever, God has given all kinds of talent. But every one of them is his, not yours. And every one of them, he says, I want you to use them according to my direction, to my benefit, so that people walk away and say, what a great God that man represents by what he did for me. That really puts work in a different perspective, doesn't it? That puts everything in different perspective. Now, remember last week we saw that one part of the steward's directions, we may enjoy our portion as well. As God has commanded not to muzzle the treading ox, so he has also not muzzled me and you. We may enjoy the things that he has given us to manage or to do. But most of us don't need much instruction about that. Seems like we tend to go overboard with that. Yeah? So tonight, let's look at the calling of our stewardship of God's resources. That's our second thought. The scope of the Eighth Commandment congregation details for us how to be a steward of God's 
resources that I may promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. So typically we think about don't steal what God gave others. Yeah, don't steal what God gives others. Now, just one study for you to do this week yourself. Don't steal what gets God's either. Malachi 3 is still the written scriptures. That God reminds us, don't rob me, he said. My tithes are mine. Let's think about that. I'm not going to preach about it tonight. But the Bible still tells me that one-tenth of all I receive is God's. There's no cancellation of that. We need to remind ourselves of that. And if we don't, we steal not from men. God says in Malachi 3, we rob God. Tax evasion is sin. Tithe evasion. Is a bigger one. Because it's not against the government in Wellington. It's against the governor. Who reminds us. By that 10%. All is mine. All is mine. Now our focus tonight. We're going to focus on. Showing mercy. The eighth commandment is. Thou shalt give. Congregation is our catechism is correct, and I think it is. I will show you from some scriptures. I am to promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can and I may. So my failure to use God's resources, to use my extras to help the needy, that are around us, and there are probably not as many around us as there were in the Bible time, because we have our government to take care of a lot, and I realize our government will siphon off a lot of our money into that. So that's a little different situation than we have in the Bible time. And we, of course, very joyfully see that money go to the needy in our country to support. Now, yeah, that's for you to judge. Matter that, we do that joyfully. But God wants us to use our resources to relieve the needy. We have to be prudent, provide for your own self, provide for your own family. But please don't make prudence and disguised covetousness, saying, well, I'm not going to give this much because I wish this or I dream that. Let's, let's, let's ask God to search us. Am I just putting away this for my rainy day? But maybe by now you have so much for rainy days that you'll never get time enough to spend it all. And there's a lot of them like that. So let's be careful how we reason about the prudence. But there's an even sharper arrow this evening that God's going to shoot at me. That I faithfully labor to enable myself to relieve the needy. 
I fail you to labor faithfully and diligently to enable me to relieve my needy neighbor is a breach of the Eighth Commandment? We all are having one typical disease in our Western mindset, most of us. Workaholics. We work, work, work. It's a very common sin among us Christians. We use the call to be diligent to cover our love for materialism. Let's be honest with each other. We use the call to work diligently to feed our covetousness. God, search me, please. Search me. Will you pray that as we are listening to this? One of our forefathers says, we all have a duty to become rich. Now some of you young people would like that. You say, oh, great. We've all a duty to become rich, but there's no full stop at the end of that sentence. He says, we all have a duty to be rich, comma, so that we are enabled to help the needy, the hungry, and the cold. Is that why we go to work? Is that why I'm working hard? So that at the end of the month, I can have a little extra to drop in Barnabas' aid, another donation. Because they need it out there. Am I working extra hours this week if I need to so I can have a little extra To provide for my neighbor. Search me, O Lord, search me. Is this why I'm getting up early in the morning and make late nights? Is that why I'm working? There's one more arrow. Turn to Proverbs 19, please. It's the sharpest of all. It's the sharpest of all. Proverbs 19, verse 7. Verse 17. He that has pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he has given, will he pay him again? I'm going to read this again. I want you to think about what that says. He that has pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Does God need his, does God need my money? Yeah, he does. Why? To give it to the poor. This is the sharpest arrow. Thou shalt not steal. You shall give. Failing to help the needy is not just stealing from my neighbor. It is withholding to lend to God what he uses to relieve the cause of the needy. Lord, this is quite something. Jonathan Edwards writes, Our needy neighbors are God's receivers. He has been pleased so to interest himself in their case 
that he looks upon what is given to them in charity as given to himself. And when we deny them what their circumstances require of us, he looks upon it that we dare him rob him of his right. End quote of Edwards, which is a very searching sermon on Christian charity that I got this from as I studied that this week. Congregation, this is really convicting. God wants that portion so that he can minister through me to the poor. Oh, he could create it. He could rain dollars out of heaven. But that's not how God does it. He wants us to be the rainer, the provider. And our catechism has picked that up very well, doesn't it? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may. Can or may. I'll begin to reason, but, yeah, but. Now they are poor, but, you know, they're wasters. They are poor, yeah, I understand they're poor, but they make all kinds of lazy choices. They're unwise, they abuse their gifts. It's like throwing money in a leaky bucket. So, really, maybe I, I shouldn't be giving. I recognize that thinking. That's also here, okay? So, let's ponder about that for a moment. If that kind of argument cancels my duty to show mercy, my life would be over. I wouldn't stand here if God would think like that. We'll be done. We'll be done. I am a waster. I am a lazy bone. I have destroyed myself. I've made poor choices in the past in my father Adam. We've made ourselves a wasteland. He didn't make me that way. I did. You did. We did. It's mankind. But that didn't God stop to show mercy. So yeah, wisdom and prudence is necessary. Discretion is needed when we give. But leaving them in their bad or poor habits is neither wisdom nor gracious. It's disobedience. Cycles or patterns of wrong behavior are never ended by ignoring them. They're never ended by enabling them either. I realize that. We can't do that either. But let's be like God. He didn't only come alongside of me and take me by my hand and lead me and coached me and mentored me and discipled me to become a different person. If he hadn't done that, I'd be going off in my direction still. He didn't measure me on my merits. He didn't measure me on my abilities. He didn't measure me on my what might I turn out. He showed mercy, kindness. And he walked with every one of us, didn't he? 
That's what he wants us to reflect in the Eighth Commandment. That in every instance I can and may, I will serve my neighbor. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that man would do to you when you were in their shoes and you were in their circumstances and you were raised as they were, so do ye to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's my will. That is my character. So we need to educate, we need to mentor, we need to coach, we need to encourage that those who indeed can't manage may learn to manage. In congregation, this giving part, this showing of mercy of the Eighth Commandment is the hardest part. We, we don't have so much difficulty with question 110, hopefully not. Right? We're all decent citizens, hopefully. We've learned enough that we're not going to steal and we're not going to do all these things that, you know, selling fraudulent merchandise and, oh, we can all do it. We realize that. But this giving, that's the hardest part. To be generous and to do that cheerfully. To write out that check or to deposit that money in the bank without a single thought. Ah, Kind of too bad. I have to send this after all. See, then you already ruined it. In God's sight, that's no gift. That's no charity. That's already missed the point. To give generously and cheerfully and without grudging. That's a knife to our corrupted nature. To our covetous and selfishness, congregation, this is what Jesus calls the narrow way. Goes against the flesh. Goes against my covetousness. Goes against my materialism. Goes against my idolatry of my possessions. It goes right into my heart. How about yours? I am a thief. And a big one. By virtue of not giving joyfully, generously, cheerfully, without grudging, not of necessity, but only moved by compassion. That's God. And he says, I want you to be like that, my people. I know if you're unregenerate, you can't be like that. You've got no, no spirit in you to be like that. But when I have reborn you, I've given you a new heart. I want you to be like this. Because that is, to me, more important than any other thing. Because this reflects so beautifully the giving nature of our incredible God. Isn't it? And guess what? We'll go to Matthew 25 after singing. Because you'll notice that it is only almost about the Eighth Commandment when it comes to the final judgment day. Not only, but that is the focus that our Lord Jesus makes on that day. We're going to sing first before we look at that. Let's sing 99 verse 2 verse 4 and 5. 99. Wait on the Lord. 
And keep his way. Means don't worry. Trust him. And do his right things. And he will exalt thee nor delay. And he will give thee the land. And then we go on to verse 4 and 5. Of Psalm 99. 2, 4, 5. Before we listen to this portion of Matthew 25, one more point. 
this giving part of the Eighth Commandment reveals whether we are true or false believers, whether we are genuine or fake. Listen to James. What does the prophet, my brethren? Though a man say he has faith. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And have not works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to him, I'll depart in peace and be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things needful to the body, what does it profit? James is still somewhat generous. It doesn't profit if you are such a believer. The Apostle John is a little sharper. Whoso has this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? He says, you don't even have spiritual life. That's what you do. It's a pr- this is a distinguishing between precious and vile. And therefore, when you go to the book of Psalms, you notice how the Psalms and the Proverbs highlight the mercifulness. Listen to Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous, the godly, shows mercy and giveth. He giveth. In verse 20, uh, 26. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. And of all the virtues that Jesus could have chosen about the new life, notice he picks merciful in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. This charitable giving of love to the needy. In Proverbs 14, verse 17, or yeah, verse 31 says this. He that oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he that honoreth him has mercy on the poor. Notice how God ties the eight here with, with, with honoring me when you give and you show charity to the needy. Well, that brings us to Matthew 25. I never noticed it, but Edwards pointed out to me, actually, when he referred to this in his uh, writing, Matthew 25. You notice verse 33, he separates the sheep on his right and his left. And then shall the king say, come ye blessed of my father. Now I'm going to reread it again. But I was hungry, and you gave me meat, and thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you bought me some clothes. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came into me. This is the most detailed account in all of the scripture of the judgment day. This portion of Matthew 25. The most detailed account. And to Jesus... The Eighth Commandment is such an essential aspect 
that he brings it in here. You gave, you showed mercy. You showed mercy. You fed me. You clothed me. You homed me, you housed me. You visited me. It's all about mercy. It's the eighth commandment. Thou shalt give. And why does Jesus focus on that? I pondered about that. Maybe my my answer is not correct, but maybe it is. Why does Jesus focus on the judgment day only only on that part of our life? Because there's also all the other commandments. Is it because this is the most glorious reflection of the giving nature of God? Mercy. Compassion. Compassion is the most often written about feature that is evident in the Lord Jesus in the gospel stories. Compassion. Giving. Pouring out himself. Sacrificially giving himself for the needy, the lonely, the outcast, the shamed, the poor. In congregation, it is this Glorious part of God's nature. He wants us to reflect. He's the infinitely giving God, isn't it? And you get up in the morning, don't we stand up and say, Lord, why art thou giving me again such a glorious day that I can witness and be healthy and have a home and have food on the table? Don't we? Do you? Do I start the day like that? I mean, just imagine living in Gaza, in the refugee camps there. God is just giving, giving, and giving. God so loved sinners that were wasteful and living in absolute poverty through their own foolish choice in paradise. God so loved sinners that maintained the most destructive lifestyle of choices to indulge themselves and continue to live in rebellion. And he so loved that he gave. His only begotten Son. Send him not with a bucket load of condemnation. Send him not into our lives with a disapproval look on his face. And with judgment on his fingers. But he sent him into this world with a loving concern and a sacrificial ministry. Pouring himself into the wrecked lives of people who know nothing else but wreck themselves. If you want Christianity to be more powerful, let's begin with the Eighth Commandment. Not the Fourth. It's a good one. Important, all of them. But here, I think, we Christians fail majorly. I include it. What am I willing to show to my poor? And you know, there's not that many poor, perhaps, in New Zealand that need your money. The government is taking care of it, and nobody in this country needs to have that kind of 
help mostly from us. But there's other ways to give. Words of encouragement. Quality time. Patient listening. Acts of service. And one of the best things to give is divine truth to those who are ignorant. And dear congregation, let's close. And there's a statement here that I have to read to you. John and Edwards claims. He claims there is no subject that is more insisted upon in the Bible than the duty of charitable giving. Now, I don't dispute Johnson Edwards. I don't dare. There is no duty that is more insisted upon by God in the Scriptures than charitable giving. And then he adds, yet, there's also no subject given so many promises than showing mercy to others. I want to conclude with looking at a few of those. Let's go to Acts 12, uh, 20. I mean, you could spend a lot of time tonight looking at God's promises to the merciful. Acts 20, verse 32 to 35, Paul is uh, concluding his ministry among the Ephesians. Verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. There it is. That's where our catechism must have gotten it from. You ought to labor to support the weak. Not just for your own self. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's an amazing promise. Wherever Jesus said that, I do not know, but it is here quoted in the scriptures as Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, the giver has the greatest blessing. Why? Because of what's coming. Whatever we lend to the Lord, he will pay back. Do we believe that? No. Most of us don't, do we? Go to Ecclesiastes 11. One of the passages of scripture that we generally kind of misinterpret. Because we think it speaks about evangelism. No, it's not what it speaks about. It speaks about charitable giving. Cast thy bread upon the waters. For thou shalt find it after many days. Because the second verse, give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be. Upon the earth. I'll stop there. So we perhaps think that giving to the poor and need is a waste. It's like a loss. It's just throwing your money away. Well, picture this. Cast your bread upon the water. What happened to that bread? It falls apart and sinks to the bottom. That seems like a waste. Total waste. That's the picture. 
It's a picture that God makes here or Solomon makes about charitable giving. It seems useless. seems the quickest way to lose your bread. And yet Solomon writes, uh-uh, it's not sunk. It's not lost. You'll find it after many days. For you don't know what's ahead of you. Your turn may come to be poor. You see? Don't dream that you'll never get to the poverty of the needy. And maybe once you get there, it will come back. What you lend to the Lord. You don't give it to the poor. You lend it to the Lord. It's the best place to lend your money. Let's go to Proverbs 11. So many scriptures as I was paging to the Bible here on the subject of the promises to the charitable givers. Let's just listen to God. I don't even have to comment on these verses. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth to poverty. The liberal soul that here means the generous soul, the giving soul shall be made fat. That is the image of prosperity. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. I don't have to comment on that congregation. Turn to 1917 of Proverbs again. I'll be read that already early. He that has pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he has given will he pay him again. God will pay again. You're not giving it to the poor. You're lending it to the Lord who holds the poor in his hand. And then probably 8.27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. But he that hideth his eyes and pretends not to see shall have many a curse. George Swinock writes, charity is the best way to plenty. You must gather from these verses, right? That's the best way to plenty. And so let's conclude then with one more, Matthew 10, verse 42. Again, the Lord Jesus' own words here. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of water in the name, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Not even a cup of water is insignificant to the Savior if it is out of a heart of charity. It doesn't matter, children. You don't have to give a million dollars for God to notice. You can just give a cup of water. And he will notice that when you do that, because you want to love your neighbor as a reflection of the God who loves us, you notice. Now I said that was the last one, but it's not. Because Luke 12, verse 33 very often a misunderstood verse. Sell that you have and give alms. Now, by the way, I never noticed that before. There is no singular to the word alms. It's always alms. 
It's a plural word. Always. Give alms, provide yourselves bags which vex not all, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Giving to the needy in the spirit of compassionate love is laying up treasure in heaven. I have buried people that left millions behind. They left it behind in the bank of the earth or in their possessions, whatever. But if all you've saved is in your bank, guess what? You'll never see it again and somebody else will use it because God will pass it on to someone else. But when you put in God's hand, in giving to the needy, you're laying up a treasure in heaven, Jesus says. No, we're not saved by works. Never. Because none of us can ever purely give, as Jesus did. But still, the Savior notices it. So, beloved congregation, I conclude this Eighth Commandment journey with you tonight on this. Let's listen once more to Jesus. In John 13, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. We cannot, we can never love in the extent that Jesus loved. But he wants us to love in the spirit he loved. And if you are his disciple, you will be known, not by your creed, but by your love. I find that unsettling. Because I think of myself as a conservative, biblical, believing Christian. And Jesus says, that's all right, but that means nothing. If you don't love like I, in that spirit at least, will you and are you then actually my disciple? By this shall all may know you're my disciples, if you have love to one another. That's why I said earlier, my friends, that I believe this Eighth Commandment is the greatest failure in the, in the whole of Christianity because we Christians tend to be, in the West, opulent and rich while so many of God's family lies in prison naked, cold, hungry, thirsty. And we, well... We give them a little donation, of course. But what's behind it? It's for you and me to examine today, isn't it? But let's end with looking at the Savior. He loved us in denying himself. He became poor, totally. Gave up all his riches. Left his heavenly fatherly house. 
and became poor and suffered greatly in order to help. He loved us though we were far below him. He loved us though we lived in self-inflicted poverty through bad habits and rebellious natures. We lived in patterns of our covenant head, Adam, and we are like him. And he loved us. He loved us while we were evil and hateful and undeserving of his love. And he loves us still. Though we continue to be ill-spenders and wasters and abusers and greedy and covetous. And though we are rich, still discontented. What a God. Make me like thee, Lord. Make me like thee. Shall we pray that? Amen. Make us like thee, Lord Jesus. Make us like thee, almighty God. That's really shown us tonight something again of thy indescribable glory, thy giving nature, thy mercy, loving kindness. Lord, it's giving us a task we cannot really do. Without thee, we can bring forward no fruit like this. But please empower all thy people here. More and more be reflective of this glory of the giving nature. And gracious Lord, we pray that thou would use this message tonight to quicken those that are still spiritually dead. That they may have felt thy kindness, Lord. Even though we are living like in a foolish and disobedience and serving our idols and our idolatry. Let us let that kindness which thou showed to us tonight again, speaking to us, drive deeply into our hearts and conquer us for thee. We pray for our poor and needy Brethren in the family, maybe not so many of them in New Zealand, Lord, but millions and millions, millions, other places of the world. Bless how all those organizations are seeking to distribute the giving, also from our midst. And Lord, bring it truly in the mouths of the hungry and bring it in the, the clothing on the shoulders of the cold and And let them indeed know that this comes from thee, not from us. Let them feel, Lord, thy hand providing, even though it is coming through the riches thou hast given us. Bless them that suffer like that. Lord, will thou bless us all in this week before us. Bless the schooling of our children at home, in school. Bless the ministry of our schoolwork to also many other children and help our teachers and help us as parents teach our children at home also in the most important truths of Scripture. Gracious God, guide us safely in all our travels and all our endeavors, protect us and provide what is needed for land, for work, 
in whatever sector of economy thou hast placed us. All this we ask of God in Jesus' name alone. Amen.